The Engineering Commons podcast explores challenges encountered by engineers, regardless of their field or industry. Join mechanical engineer Jeff, civil engineer Adam, and electrical engineers Brian and Carmen as they discuss issues of interest to today's engineering professional. This is the episode for the 26th of December, 2013, in which we talk about achieving success in one's engineering career. So, Jeff, has your career been successful? Well, I certainly think it has. I can't say that it went exactly as I thought it would when I was, you know, 22, 23, graduated from school, headed out. I really thought that uh, I would probably go work for a big company my entire life and ended up working for big companies and then smaller companies and then uh, much smaller companies and then worked for myself for over a dozen years before I decided to go back to school and get my doctorate so I could go teach engineering. So I didn't... uh, you know, I didn't go out and start the next Apple computer or anything. It wasn't like I was a huge financial success, but it's certainly been an interesting career, and I've gotten to do a lot of uh, neat things and meet a lot of interesting people. So, yeah, I consider it successful. How about you? Well, um, while I'm pretty early in my career. Yeah, I guess uh, you are. <laughs> um, so far, I think uh, things are going very well. I found a job in doing what I love, and that's, you know, I, I look forward to going to work in the morning, and I think that's very important. Well, that's a pretty good start. And I think that, you know, as engineers, there was something in engineering, hopefully, that drew us to the field that made us excited about looking for an engineering job. And hopefully the jobs we found are are, uh, challenging and uh, fulfilling. But you can't always just sort of sit back and and wait for those jobs to come along. You know, the the opportunities will present themselves. And if you're not ready to to seize those opportunities to to make a move or to – take on a new challenge, they'll, they'll go away and, and uh, you'll have to wait for the next opportunity to come along. So there's certainly some value in uh, planning for where your career is going to go and uh, what you might do with the opportunities when they present themselves. And along those lines, we decided that we would invite someone who has uh, written about engineers and success in their careers. So our guest uh, this evening is Anthony Fasano. And, uh, he is a professional engineer who, at age 27, which is a pretty tender age, became an associate partner with the multidisciplinary engineering firm of Mazer Consulting. And he has bachelor's and master's degrees in civil engineering and is a lead accredited professional. And uh, licensed as a professional engineer in New York and New Jersey, he serves as the executive director of the New York State Society of Professional Engineers. And so we booked him because he has authored the book. Engineer Your Own Success, Seven Key Elements to Creating an Extraordinary Engineering Career. Uh, so, Anthony, welcome to the Engineering Commons. Thanks for having me, Jeff and Adam. I appreciate you guys having me on the show. We're so glad that uh, you were willing to join us this evening. And uh, so usually we, we start out with our guests and we ask them, what got you interested in engineering? Well, when I was in high school, I, you know, I was pretty good at math and science, which I know is probably what you hear from a lot of people when you asked them that question and and I had actually a someone that was in my high school another another kid who was a year younger than me at the time I didn't know him yet <clears throat> I guess my parents knew his parents and my mom said to me you know you know Thomas's father is an engineer I'm going to call him you should try to maybe work with him in the summer and I kept saying yeah you know whatever whatever Right, and she called him. Sure enough, and I was I was going into my senior year of high school, and I got a job, you know, with this small civil engineering company doing 
field surveying, you know, they pretty much stuck me in the field, which I would learn later was, was a big benefit to me as a design engineer. And I liked it a lot. And I started looking at schools then in the engineering with engineering departments and civil engineering. And that's how I kind of got onto the path. That was my start, so to speak. And then I kind of never looked back from there. Neat. And when you say field engineering, what were you, what, what were you doing? They were primarily doing residential developments at the time. You know, it was really during a lot of the real estate boom, especially here in the Northeast, a lot of housing subdivisions and housing developments. So I would go out in the field with the surveyors and I would, we would actually um, be collecting data for the engineers that were going to be doing the design in the office as far as the topography so they could design their drainage and their parking lots and their layouts, maybe doing some traffic counts potentially for their traffic design. Um, so things along those lines. I mean, essentially, I guess data collection is, is would be a good way to, to summarize it. Right. And so you were able to, whatever you needed to do, uh, your your abilities as a, or you were senior in high school at this time? Yeah, I was a senior in high school. I mean, essentially, to be honest with you, I was pretty much holding, you know, one of the prism rods and I was walking around <laughs> a lot and they, were, and they were taking shots of it. But I was learning, you know, I was seeing things right. being built. I was seeing how they put things in. At the time, not knowing it would, you know, help me a lot down the road, but I, you know, I mean, I mean, basically, I was exposed to things that that were that were great for me as a future engineer. But you know, my job was essentially, you know, fairly a simplistic type of job. But there was kind of a lot that went into it. Well, and everybody's got to start on the dumb end of the tape. So. Yeah, that's right. And, and so, without uh, sidetracking too far uh, from our our. Uh, focus this evening, but I'm, I'm always curious about these things. So do you think your interest in engineering was uh, the fact you'd been exposed to this aspect of it greatly helped you decide to go into engineering as opposed to, you know, uh, a lot of high school counselors will say, well, you're great at math and science, so you should be an engineer. But but people go then go to engineering school without that, that background of having some exposure to what engineering, uh, an engineering career is all about. Yeah, I think it helped me a lot to, um, you know, visualize, you know, kind of along the lines of, of, of what you're speaking about is visualize engineering before I actually embarked upon the academic, I guess, journey, so to speak, you know, which mm-hmm. I guess most people don't get to. They just, you know, engineering sounds cool. You're good at math and science, go for it. So, no, definitely having a background was a big, big plus for me. Um, and and I, I was, I really like to be outdoors as much as I could. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the kind of civil and the surveying at the time that I was doing even made it more interesting to me because I felt like I could maybe work on some outdoor projects, some construction projects. And so I think all those things together, even going into college, made me feel like I was in the right spot. Right. Did you consider any other fields? I mean, what had had the exposure to surveying said civil engineering is the way I want to go? Had you thought about, you know, mechanical or electrical or some other discipline? Well, we had a um, an engineering 101 class freshman year, as I'm sure most engineers do, where they, they show you the different disciplines. And, you know, I, I don't know what it was, but, I mean, mechanical intrigued me a bit, but it was really the civil that I just liked. I mean, I guess I was probably a little bit biased, of course, coming having a little bit of experience coming in, but... I think also the type of work. I mean, I like the statics a lot. You know, I like the analyzing of uh, you know static structures, um, and, and I just kind of kind of went with it. You know, and of course, structural was always appealing to me, bridges and those kind of things. So I think kind of a combination of those things. I would say that pretty much I was pretty much civil the whole way. 
That's neat. So when you got out of college, what was your first job? So what happened was the the company that I had mentioned, I worked there every summer during college. It was a small firm, probably five or six individuals. And right when I grad, right before, actually, you know what? It was a year before I graduated college. Towards the end of the summer, I was going to the senior year. They had talked to me about, you know, the possibility of them being acquired by this company, Mazer. Mm-hmm. And while I was at school that year, it actually happened. And I went back there in the winter. I worked with them. And then, you know, they they made me an offer when I graduated. And, you know, I always tell engineers this, obviously. I do a lot of career coaching for engineers. And, you know, the master's degree question always comes up. Should I get a master's degree? And for me, at the time, you know, fortunately, it was the engineering industry was booming when I graduated college in 2000. So I had like, I want to say like six or seven different job offers, mm-hmm. one of them being from the company Mazer. And one of the things I did was I, I, I researched each company as far as their graduate school reimbursement policies. Right. And because in that kind of an atmosphere where you have a lot of different opportunities, I figured, you know, let me... I know that getting a master's was one of my goals, so I figured let me try to put myself in the best position to do that. And actually, this company Mazer had the best benefit package. They had basically at the time an unlimited number of courses you could take. So I ended up taking the job with them, which was comfortable because I had kind of worked with my boss there before. And I went to school at nights for two years and was able to get my degree, which which they financed. Okay. Okay. Wow. And so, go ahead, Adam. Oh, I was just saying, wow, that's, that's, <laughs> that's rare nowadays. Yeah, it is. And, and it, it actually worked out perfect for me because honestly, the smaller company never would have been able to, they wouldn't have had all the benefits that I was able to get from Mazer and, and not just the benefit package, but also the fact that Mazer was multidisciplinary. And that allowed me being a young engineer, not really knowing what discipline within civil that I wanted to go into because there's so many. I was able to spend the first three to five years, probably more along, I should say, maybe like two to three years of my career trying different things, structures, geotechnical, until I settled in the civil site development field. Neat. And so was it difficult deciding that or or just your experiences with the different uh, fields said, this is what I like? No, it wasn't that difficult for me. I mean, it was – it was – it just felt more natural, the civil site development. Maybe part of it was because I had that field experience where I was working on housing developments, but also the type of engineering involved, the stormwater, the um, the grading and drainage. To me, it felt like it was a little bit more um, practical in that structural and geotechnical was a lot of heavy calculations. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the site stuff was, you know, you go out to the site, you look at it, you see how it's grading, you come into the office, you make it work, you got to flatten it out, you got to grade it. And because maybe because I had the field experience, I felt like that was something that was more natural to me that I could see it better. You know, I was able to visualize that and it made it, I guess, more enjoyable for me. And I like to see, you know, the housing developments built and there was a lot of challenges. And so I kind of just gravitated towards that. Right. And and along those lines, the funny thing is now, I, I, I mean, I have the opportunity to speak at maybe 10 to 20 colleges to engineering students across the country each year. And when I talk to the civil engineers, I always ask them what you want to do. And nine out of 10 civil engineers tell me structural engineering. And, you know, I think that's like the thing that, that looks that looks great, you know, in your civil engineer bridges and structures. And I said that when I came out of school. 
And the funny thing is that the civil, the site development aspect of it, I didn't even know that existed really when I came out of school with the exception of some of the work I had done over the summers, but there was no classes. I mean, yeah, there was hydrology and drainage classes that are components of that, but there wasn't a class that said like, you know, you can do site development work. So I think that's something that's interesting for engineers graduating is, you know, there's so many opportunities that a lot of times, unfortunately, they don't even know what all the opportunities are. Right. Again, hard to get if the entire focus is math and physics. It's good to get some exposure to what's going on in the industrial world. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So now um, I know from reading some of your biographical information that you talk about struggling during your early days with the company. And, and I'm curious whether that struggle was just the moving from a small company to a bigger company or the struggle was uh, just figuring out what's going on at the bigger company. Or I know that I struggled with the the office politics. There were decisions being made that didn't seem entirely rational to me. And when I started asking questions about, well, this doesn't make any sense, I was sort of put down like, you're just a young kid. You don't really know enough to uh, to get involved in this stuff. And uh, so so what were the struggles that you you encountered early in your career at Mazer? Um, really, honestly, all the things that you listed there weren't really challenges for me at all. Those, you know, the transitions and those types of things were easy for me. The parts that were difficult were, number one, figuring out what I wanted to do. Because, you know, the fact that there are five to ten different disciplines at Mazer, you know, in that field, I had no idea, you know, which one I wanted to do. And I was kind of nervous that what if I pick one and I don't like it? So that was a bit of a struggle that that I was really, that really got me down a little bit in the beginning of my career. Mm -hmm. And the second challenge for me is that I'm very motivated and very driven individual and a lot of times as a younger engineer, I felt like I was just being given, you know, kind of the leftover type of tasks, you know, go out and sketch something. or And I felt like I wasn't able to contribute um, as much as I wanted to. So I think those were the two big challenge, challenges for me in the beginning of my career that got me down a little bit and depressed about engineering. Um, however, you know, luckily I was able to break through that. But that's really how, you know, if there's younger engineers that happen to be listening to the show, you know, that could be overwhelming for you, but, you know, there are ways that you can, you know, work that out, you know, and, and, and which, which is what I did, which was try to talk to engineers that were successful and figure right. out, you know, how they got to where they were and what, what are some of the steps that they took. So, so I would say that those were really the challenges for me that were tough. Okay. You started your career in, you know, in engineering's fairly technical field. What caused you to become interested in some of these non-technical activities you're involved in, such as networking and public speaking? Well, actually, right back to the last answer that I gave you as far as, you know, trying to get out of that rut that I was in in the beginning of my career. And I started talking to these engineers that were successful and I asked them, you know, what did you do? And I studied, kind of studied them almost. And what I realized, which was, you know, kind of this really, this big realization for me was that every one of these engineers that was successful, in addition to their technical knowledge, they had really good professional skills, really good core skills, if you will. Um, they were able to speak in front of people. They had good networks because they could, they, they built relationships. They were leaders. They could communicate clearly. They set clear goals. And, you know, I recognize all these things and I said, you know, this is what I have to do. I mean, if I want to be successful as an engineer, I have to be well rounded. I have to be able to take a project and run with it, not just do the calculations. I got to do everything else as well. So from that point on in my career, 
kind of said to myself, I'm going to read every book I can, you know, take every course I can on these professional skills and develop them. And that's how I got into that. That's what, that's what interested me in the non-technical skills was just seeing other people succeed with them. And obviously you must feel that they were, that was a successful journey since you were able to make partner at a fairly young age. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the reason I made partner was in, was largely in part to my, to those, you know, professional or core skills. And, you know, listen, I never want to make the technical skills less, you know, important than they are. I mean, that's, you know, obviously what engineering is based upon, but, you know, you got to realize that there's a lot of really good schools in the United States and a lot of engineers that graduate have a lot of really good technical skills. So, there's thousands of engineers, you know, graduating with really good technical skills. And the thing that's going to make you different is having those good technical skills, but then having the other skills that are going to allow you to do other things like communicate, lead a project team, bring in business for your company. So those are the things that I did really well. And that's what got me to become a partner. That's what got me to that level because they recognized that. And it's not that they recognized it, but it was results. I mean, I got results and that's how I got them. So from the company standpoint, I think this is hard for some engineers to understand. We like to think of things as, you know, everything's a, a, a technical problem to be solved and that if we do a good job of putting our head down and just focusing squarely on the, the technical issues, uh, that we, we will be rewarded for doing that. And companies have businesses to run and so they often have much more on their plate than just the technical issues. Oh, absolutely. I mean – I talk to companies all the time and what they say to me is what our engineers need help on is client interaction, um, communication with their team and other consultants, you know, cause these are the things that make or break the projects. I mean, you could have an, you could have two engineers that can design a, a great design, but if you, if, if one can communicate it to other people, to the public, uh, to get it approved in front of a, a town board, then that's the engineer that's going to be the most successful, not the engineer that can do a great design, but then can't communicate the benefits of the design to anyone else. So I think, I think that's something that engineers need to be aware of today. It's not like the days when I started my career where, you know, you would do some surveying in the field, you'd bring it into the office, you'd give it to a draftsperson who would draw it up, an engineer would take it, mark up the plans, give it back to them. Now, if you graduate, I mean, they're, they expect you to do everything. Go out in the field, sketch it up, come in, draw it up in AutoCAD, run the cut-fill calculations using the same program, you know, put the contours in there, you know, get it all done. So I think that's a huge shift in engineering in the last 10 years or so. And it's it's put a lot more pressure, I guess you could say, on an engineer to be well-rounded and be able to do all of these different things. I mean, when I talk to CEOs today and I ask them, you know, what are you looking for in engineers? And they, they tell me that, you know, we want someone that could kind of do everything, you know, that they, that can talk to clients, do a design, go to a meeting, you know, do marketing, you know, companies can't hire all these people anymore. They don't have the, they don't have the budgets to hire them. It's just not efficient. So, and in some ways it could be a little bit dangerous because, you know, we, the technical aspect of things is important. We got to make sure things get done right. I mean, there's, there's lives at stake, but on the other end of it, it's an opportunity for engineers. If you can become well-rounded, there's, there's just so many opportunities out there for you. Early in my career, I worked for uh, General Motors, and that was my first job out of college. And, uh, you know, at that point, uh, drafting still went on in drafting boards. So 
you know, there were, you know, when you looked at what engineers did, they were split up. They had, uh, you know, the draftsmen and they had the designers, and then there were the test engineers and the quality engineers. Um, and if you wanted something at the, still at that point, if you, there were still secretaries around for, for the department. So if you wanted something typed up, you certainly didn't type it up. You wrote it out longhand and handed it to a secretary to type out. And, uh, everything was split up into sort of, uh, subdivisions. So I think you're absolutely right. The, uh, the role of the engineer is evolving as time goes along. No doubt. So your ad- adoption of these non-technical skills were beneficial to you. You rose to the position of associate uh, partner. But at some point, I understand you got involved in trying to share these skills with uh, with others there at Mazer. Yeah. So what happened for me was I, I, I got the promotion. I became an uh, associate and... Soon after that, my boss approached me one day and he said to me, you know, Anthony, you've been, you know, you've done great here. We, we appreciate everything you've done. We love how you have these other skills. And what we'd like you to do is to take this information and put together some kind of a training that you could offer to the rest of the engineers in our company. And when I did that, I basically, you know, I took a piece of paper. I wrote down all these different skills, which eventually end up being kind of the outline for my book. Mm -hmm. And I put together a seminar and started giving it at the offices. And not only did I really, really enjoy it, but I got results. I mean, people started taking steps in their career that, that they've been trying to do for a couple of years, whether it was passing a certification exam or, you know, whatever the case, whatever the issue or challenge or goal that they were working on, you know, they started achieving them. So um, that's kind of when I started to realize that, you know, there may be something to this and, you know, to take it one step further, what happened to me as well is that I happened to work for someone there who was much older, kind of towards the end of his career, but he wasn't fond of, you know, giving away a lot of the responsibilities. So I kind of got to a point where I became very stagnant in my career mm-hmm. and it made me look for other things to do to keep, again, I'm since I'm so motivated, I need to keep going. So I had always heard about coaching executive coaching. You know, I was always a big Tony Robbins fan growing up and reading his books. And I just looked into it one day. I was home with my wife. I said, I think I want to do coaching. I don't know exactly what it is. And I, I did some research on it. I found a great school. I signed up. I started going through the process. And what happened was the coaching training, the coaching skills coupled with the seminars that I was doing, we put the two together at Mazer because the human resources uh, woman was a coach as well. And we did, we developed kind of a whole coaching program. So it went beyond seminars. I started working with individuals one-on-one there. And and so we actually put a whole program together and that's how kind of all that happened. Neat. And and so how big a company is Mazer? So how many, how many employees were there? Well, at the time there was probably about 200 to 250. They've really, okay. now they're double or more than that, but that's how they were at the time. But that's a pretty good collection of engineering talent. Oh yeah. Yeah, it was a, it was a top top company in the country. That's neat. Can you tell me a little more about how you were able to help those engineers uh, succeed in ways that they weren't able to before you got involved with them? Sure. Yeah. I mean, one of the big things was I was able to help a lot of them to get clear on their goals in mm-hmm. their career because and, and you know and I work with a lot of engineers and that's the biggest challenge is when you're not clear on the goals that you're after in your career then you can be very disengaged in your career and not productive in your job. 
and that's you know that's a problem for the engineer because it's not satisfying and that's a problem for the company because the engineer is not being as productive as he or she could be so so one of the things that I really helped them with is getting clear on their goals uh, another thing that I was uh, I was able to help them with was to obtain some credentials that they weren't able to get you know I helped them to get clear on the process of getting the credentials and putting together a good plan in place to prepare and study for exams, which I believe is a big thing as an engineer, you know, having the right credentials can be really helpful for you. So I helped them with that. And I think, and I think a lot of them too, I helped them with their communication skills because in the field, especially in civil engineering, I know because since I was a civil engineer and this goes probably for most disciplines, you, you work on teams a lot. And, and if you can communicate effectively, the difference in your career, in your projects, in your company is huge. And, and, and so these are some of the things I started to help them do. And, and the company really noticed it. It really showed an impact. And how did, I, I, I guess I'm going after what was the measure by which people said, this is, this is positive. What, what were, what was the company looking for that they got? They were looking for um, more business. For example, I helped some people network better, bring in more business, which was obviously a big measurement stick because that's the bo- kind of the bottom line of the company. Right. So that was a big one. I think also we did some surveys with their staff okay. if, before and after. Right. So we were able to get some kind of quantitative, at least in a sense, results from that. And there was also a leadership um, assessment that we used kind of before and after too to measure um, how they developed as a leader. So there was different okay. there was different measurements in place to be able to monitor the, the kind of the effectiveness of the coaching. Right. I'm I'm always curious for engineers that uh, you know a lot of organizations engineering is you know engineers find themselves a number of levels down, and uh, so it's a little tough for them. You know they're not really near the customer and they're not near sales, and uh, so I'm always interested in how they're getting measured uh, with regard to how they're doing their technical skills, and I think the there's often an attitude, well, I need to be just smarter about the technical stuff. Um, so I was just curious, you know, how the how the companies were measuring success with non-technical skills in a technical environment. Yeah, and part of it is that Rich Mazur is a big, I mean, he started the company with maybe, I think, him and one other person almost 30 years ago. And he's mm-hmm. he was really big and he understands the importance of these four professional skills to be able to talk to people build relationships. He understands that. And I think that's why I had the opportunities I had there to do this training because he really saw the value in it, which was, which was really big. So at, at some point you said, well, I enjoy the coaching and uh, I enjoy working for Mazer, but there are opportunities beyond the corporate boundaries. So what, what was the, uh, what was the impetus? Was there an event? Did you wake up in the middle of the night? How did you decide that you're going to go out on your own? <laughs> um, it's a good question. I, I think, you know, what happened for me was when I saw that I was able to help 20 or 30 engineers at Mazer alone, mm-hmm. I assumed that there would be thousands of engineers out there that had the same types of challenges with these skills. And I kind of felt that, you know, I always felt driven to do something big. You know, like I said, I followed Tony Robbins. I read a lot of that stuff. And when I was engineering, I mean, I felt comfortable engineering. I was able to progress, but I always felt like there was something else that I wanted to do. There's something that I wanted to have an impact. And I just, I guess I just kind of put the two together one day. And I think really it happened for me 
Yeah, I explained to you before when I was just sitting on the couch with my wife one night talking about what I really want to do and the coaching just came up for me. And when I signed up for that coaching school and when I got in the car, I had to drive up to Boston for that first course. I think that whole car, I was just like, this is definitely what I was totally supposed to be doing. You know, I had that feeling that I was on the right track. And I think from that point on, I knew that that was going to end up being a career path for me. So then it was just the process of, you know, kind of making that happen from there. Right. And I'm, I'm curious in the, the coaching realm, because coaching goes on in, you know, virtually every industry. Is there anything different about coaching engineers as opposed to say coaching accountants or coaching, um, you know, construction workers? I think that there is. And I say that because I think the reason that I'm, a, I'm an effective coach is because I understand exactly what people are going through. So I coach mostly engineers and coaches that are like building businesses, two things mm -hmm. that I've done. And I can say that understanding when an engineer says to you something like, you know, I'm going for my annual review and I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And I, you know, I'm putting, I'm working on this project and me being able to understand that and then help them through it, I think is a huge plus for me. I mean, I think my coaching skills are at the point where I can pretty much coach anybody on any topic and help them to get results. But I definitely think that I, I can, I can it, whether it's done faster or more comprehensive with an engineer, just because I understand where they're coming from. And, I, and I've coached engineers that I have no idea about their field, like an aerospace engineer. But I still think, you know, just the fact that they know that I've, I'm an engineer helps them to even open up a little bit easier to me. And, and, and they feel like they don't need to explain stuff as much. I mean, there's just a lot of benefits to it. Well, we've talked in past episodes about how engineers tend to come from the uh, from a fairly small region of the you know the Myers Briggs Index. Mm -hmm. uh, there's 16 personality types in there, and uh, in fact, I think we had comments uh, when we did that episode. I think one of the comments was telling us that Myers Briggs was not exactly the most uh, reputable form of of doing that. That yes, it's well established, but there are better ones. I, I, I'm just referring to it because it's well known. So we we talked about in that episode whether the engineering mindset came because we went through the same sort of similar schooling and that that caused us to think in the same way or that we had the personality that sort of got us interested in and drew us into engineering. And so I was just curious whether from a coaching standpoint, there was something about the engineering mindset that would be different than, uh, like I said, getting getting people that were, you know, English professors instead. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it I think there is. I think that a lot of engineers have a similar mindset revolved around, you know, solving problems, being technical, being very analytical, looking to analyze things, uh, and all those things come into play and, and all those things manifest themselves in their challenges. Mm -hmm. It's very clear. I mean, it's very clear when engineers have challenges that a lot of them come from the idea of trying to analyze things, um, getting caught up in that too much potentially, and, you know, which makes it easier for me every time I coach an engineer, because every time I help someone with something, I take that into my experience for the next person. Right. So you headed out on your own and uh, you started uh, your company, which was Powerful Purpose Associates. Yep. And uh, so when you when you did that, what, what was the initial business concept? Did, was it just to be coaching or was it to be, did you have other ideas in mind or, or how did you see this as being a profitable business when you, you headed out the door? Yeah. I mean, that's one of my weak points is I don't think too much about the business planning and the financial <laughs> side of things. 
I kind of just think about, you know, there's a, the opportunity there and I just want to kind of chase after it. So the concept for the business was basically, listen, I became a partner when I was 27. I know the recipe for success. And now I have the coaching skills to be able to help any engineer do that. So that makes, I would think that that would be something very valuable, not just for engineers, but for organizations. So I kind of, the business concept was to do coaching for engineering companies, essentially. And I was able to land, you know, a nice size contract with a company um, to do coaching of of a large group of project managers for a year. And that was the contract that I got once I left, I said, okay, now I have something to start this business. This will get me through a year and I'm not going to get anything better than this. So I've got to go and and run with it right now. And I did that. And and thankfully I ended up that Mazer um, hired me as well because we had the coaching program going there and, and, you know, they're just a great company. If I, if I stayed an engineer, I'd probably still be working there. I have a lot of respect Mm -hmm. for them. And, and that was kind of the initial concept for the, the business. And I say the initial concept because it's morphed into a lot of different things, but my intention was to go out there and help these engineering companies. And what I realized was that that wasn't feasible because, I mean, that contract lasted about 18 months, but mm-hmm. engineers didn't have, engineering companies didn't have money for this kind of stuff at that time. And you know, a lot of them still don't. So right. it wasn't really a good model what I realized was that the people that I really wanted to help, my true clients, were actually the the individual engineers. Right. But the challenge there is that they don't have the kind of money that you know coaches charge on a right. regular basis. So that's what led we, me to come up with my Institute for Engineering Career Development, which is one of the services of the company. It's a it's a community for engineers, and it was kind of it kind of came about from everything that I just explained to you, you know, I had to find a way to, for it's, it's kind of an affordable community. I'm not going to go into all the details, but the point is, is that I had to restructure the business. And what I, what also, what I ended up doing was about probably about three years ago or so. Now I was home one winter with the flu and I was in my office at home and I'm sitting in front of my computer. And that presentation that I told you about at Mazer, that I bare bones mm-hmm. presentation that I sketched out, I had started doing that presentation to some of the local, professional societies. Right. And the feedback was really, really powerful and people wanted more information. So sitting on my computer when I was home and I said, you know what? I got to put this into a book because the only way that I'm going to be able to reach thousands of engineers, which was my goal, was to get it out there. I mean, I can't speak to that many people in a year. So I got to get this out there. So I literally hired a coach that day, a writing uh, book publishing coach figured out how to write and publish a book on my own and pretty much wrote the manuscript in about 30 days for the book, Engineering Your Own Success, and published the book on my own. And literally for the past, for for about three years, the next three years, I literally went all over the United States in a car, you know, books in the trunk, just, (laughs) you know, with with a message. And I just wanted to get it in the hands of as many engineers as I could. And then a whole bunch of opportunities came from that. But that was really... That that was really what got me to get out there and and changed everything. Because then I met engineers, I understood what their pains were. Um, I got to meet so many interesting engineers, and and they're all kind of part of my community now. So it was really an awesome life 
experience getting to travel and be in all these cool towns in the United States. And in fact, in October, I was in Alaska for a week, which was amazing. I did a bunch of talks out there. So, so that's kind of what happened now. And, and now I'm again getting away from the speaking a little bit because I have young kids. But the bottom line is, is I always find myself inspiring and helping engineers through whatever services are offered. But, but it kind of always comes back to that. You, you have your, your trunk full of books. You're in, I don't know, you know, you're, you're in the middle of Iowa or, you know, you're traveling. So how do you, how do you set this stuff up? Who do you call and, and, and how do you arrange to have somebody to speak to, uh, in some city that you're going to? Yeah. I mean, if I told you the amount of coordination that I had to go through for those three years when I worked on my own, I didn't have an assistant like I do now. And it was literally hundreds of emails with, you know, engineers that volunteer for these associations, putting together the talks, trying to line them up the same weeks, trying to make everything work, you know, <laughs> cell phones, text messages, whatever it took. Um, right. And just made it happen, you know, and, and got enough credentials and reputation where people said, you know, this is a really good talk. And then finally, I was able to start charging a little bit for it. The book helped a little bit because I was able to make some money because I had self-published it. So my cost was very, very low. Um, right. and that was it, you know, and, and, and it, for me, I, I really wouldn't have had it any other way. Cause there's nothing like having a, a message that you believe in and being able to just get out there with it, you know, and just get in front of people with it. I mean, every time I got to, in front of a room, I mean, I've traveled probably, geez, a thousand miles and two people showed up and then I've traveled <laughs> and then I've traveled, you know, across the United States and they told me to expect less than 50 people and 300 people filled the room. So, right. You know, I've been in every kind of situation, but if it's one engineer that I help or if it's a thousand, to me, it doesn't matter because it's such a powerful thing to be able to shift someone's career and essentially like their life in the process. That's, that's why I keep doing this, you know? Right, right. And so when you were speaking to groups, was, it, was this mostly professional organizations? It primarily was professional associations. Then I started getting a little bit with the colleges, but yeah, for the most part, it was the professional um, associations. Okay. Because that was easy for me to find, you know, the, the largest number of engineers. I would just go onto a city and I'd look up every professional association in that city. And, and what I would do is typically is I would contact them all on one email and try to get a joint event. And if I couldn't, I'd put together a bunch of smaller ones. Wow, that's a that's a great idea. So let's uh, get to the uh, to the book because that was uh, that's sort of what led me to know of your existence. So you lay out in the title that there are seven keys. So is it all right if we kind of work our way through the seven keys to engineering success? Yeah, yeah, let's walk through them, sure. Well, we obviously will not give all the details because we we don't want to, people to not buy the book, but we'll at least give them a, a taste of, of what might be in there. Sure. So the first one, which you mentioned earlier when you're talking about helping uh, engineers at Mazer, was uh, setting goals. So any additional advice on the importance of doing that? Well, I mean, having a goal is is just critical because it gives you kind of a destination of where you're headed in your career. I tell engineers that all the time. And, and I think when you talk about goals, you need to think about, and, and, and you guys really explained it the best at the beginning of this call when you asked if you had had a successful career. I think one of the things you need to think about when you're doing your goal setting your career is, you know, what that word success means to you, you know, and, and I think Jeff, you said it well, you know, you, you didn't go as planned, but you met a lot of people, you did a lot of things and to you that was successful. So I think a lot of younger engineers get the, get the kind of misconception of my idea that 
a successful career means being a partner in an engineering firm and making X amount of dollars. Right. And if you're going to go by that, then there's no guarantee that you're going to be happy throughout any part of your career because unless that's what you really want, then that's not the case. So I think the whole idea behind goal setting is getting to the bottom of what you really want to do in your career and and most importantly, why you want to do it. And those are kind of some of the things I get into in that chapter in the book. And really, with most, with every engineer I coach, first question, first session, we get right into that. And I've commented before that uh, I'll read the comments in the engineering section of Reddit. And oftentimes there are young engineers going, you know, do I need this certification or do I need to get a master's degree or do I need experience doing, you know, CAD work or whatever to be successful? And, you know, I get the sense that it's like there's some key written in a book, you know, do this and this, you know, check these things off and you will automatically, everything will fall into place and life will be happy. And uh, while, you, while you can set a goal and you can have a destination, uh, you don't always know how you're going to get there. Uh, life tends to throw a lot of curveballs. And so you have to understand that it's not the, it's really, at least to me, my take on it is that it's not so much getting to the goal. It's enjoying the journey. It's, it's, it's seeing what happens as you go along and, uh, and taking that in as opposed to thinking that, uh, you, you can stand at the, at the goal line and say, well, I don't care how I got here. I just being here is the, is the end, end purpose of, of my engineering career. Oh, absolutely. No, I agree. I mean, you gotta, if you're not enjoying your work on a regular basis, I think like Adam said at the beginning of the call, you know, then I think that that's, you know, then that's, you're not going to be happy. And I think that, you know, the thing for me about goals is, and just to give an example, is that if you're, and, I, and this is what I tell people, you know, if you're driving in your car and you're, and you don't know where you're headed, obviously you're just, you can end up going in circles. But if you know where you're going, when you come up to an intersection in the road that you have to make a right or a left, you're going to know where you have to go. So that intersection in your career is represented by these decisions like you just spoke about, Jeff. So if you're deciding if you want to get a master's degree in engineering or a master's in business, the first question I ask an engineer is, well, what do you want to do? You know, what are your long-term goals? Are you, are you really interested in the technical side of things? Do you want to go into management? You know, so you have to understand some of your goals. You don't have to understand everything and it doesn't have to be completely spelled out. But if you can get an idea of where you're headed, it's going to make a lot of the decisions that you have to, that you're going to face easier. And you're not just going to be winging it. You know, this is your career. You don't want to just wing it. I mean, you want to have maybe some things that happen that are exciting and that, you know, you didn't plan on, but you certainly don't want to wing it. Right. And, and I think that uh, I talked about in the, in the opening uh, about opportunities coming along. And so I think the, uh, my take again on it is that if I, in fact, I did go back to school and got my MBA uh, as well as a, a master's in engineering. So I had the credentials, but the, the point was that when I got those, it wasn't like my employer said, oh, well, now that you have those, we're going to bump you up three levels and give you more money in a promotion. But when I had, but because I had those degrees, when opportunities came along at other companies where they were looking for that, you know, then I could, I could pursue that opportunity. Yep. No, and that's it. And I think, I think you said it the best, all these opportunities, you, you kind of, set yourself up for these things. You know, I know people say all the time, you know, well, I was lucky. I got this opportunity. I don't really believe in that. I believe that any opportunities that are available to you are because you put yourself in a position to, to be able to capitalize on them and recognize them. And a lot of it is like you said, you set yourself up, you got some good credentials and then you had the ability to go out and seize an opportunity like that. 
And, and that's what I try to preach to engineers. It's like, and that's again, essentially goes back to the title of the book. You know, you got to engineer your own success. You, you're setting yourself up for these opportunities. You're creating them essentially. Well, so the, the second, uh, the second key in your book is obtaining credentials, which we talked about just a little bit. And, and those credentials are again, so you have the opportunity to pursue those career openings that come along. The next one you have in there that is at least for me, uh, was, was a little new was finding a mentor. I read that a lot with people talking about career success, find a mentor. But certainly when I came out of school, nobody was saying that. That seems to be something that developed, uh, since then, maybe in the early nineties that, that became more popular. You know, it was always good to have other engineers that you were friends with or you knew the right people. Uh, but the idea that you would actively go out and look for a mentor was, was not something that I think my generation did a lot of. So can you, you tell us a little more about the importance of engineers finding a mentor? Sure. Yeah. I mean, we talked a little bit before about me, how I came into my career and I was, got a little bit depressed and because, you know, there was, you know, you come into this world and you, you don't know where to go in the engineering world. And I think mm-hmm. having any sort of guidance is going to do a lot for you. And the, the, one of the most important things it's going to do for you is help you to build some confidence because you're going to have someone there that's guiding you and, and, you know, pushing you kind of in the right direction. And, you know, the one thing that I always tell engineers is that there are a lot of engineers out there that have probably already accomplished the goals that you're striving for. So it doesn't really make sense for you to do this whole thing on your own and start from scratch. Mm-hmm. Find someone that's done what you want what you want to do. Talk to them. Um, get information. Get guidance. Ask questions. Ask them formally if they would mentor you on a regular basis. Because that can cut years off of your development. Because... You know, someone may put you in touch with someone or in, in touch with an opportunity that you never would have found if you didn't have that person that was guiding you on a regular basis. Or someone who's a mentor might help you to pass your professional engineering exam two years earlier because they gave you the right tips. So I think a mentor can be invaluable. And luckily, like you said, Jeff, <clears throat> there's a lot more of it in the industry today. And a lot of companies have established mentoring programs. Um, so, so if you're an engineer out there, you can check your company, you can check your professional association, and you'll, you'll be able to find some source or channel for mentoring. So my sense is that not everybody gets along with everybody else. And so you would probably have to approach several people to see how the mentoring men relationship goes. So does it typically click the first time or do most of the people you talk to have to go to two or three different people before they find a comfortable working relationship? Yeah, good question. I mean, and I get into that a lot in the chapter in the book on how to find the right mentor and give some of the steps. But the one thing I'll tell you is, unfortunately, what a lot of people do is they just settle for the first mentor that they can find. Because they feel like, oh, this is great. Someone's offering. They're volunteering to mentor me. But the problem with that is, is that if that's not the right person, it's really a waste of time for you and, and that person. So get clear on your goals and find the right person that can help you achieve those specific goals no matter how many people it takes. Because you don't just want to mentor, take them on the first mentor because they said they're going to help you. If you're going to commit the time to a mentoring relationship, then you want to make sure that you're going to find the right person for you. And I, I, never, I never like to say find a good mentor because it's not about being a good or bad mentor. It's just about finding the right person for you. So the, the next chapter of your book is uh, about becoming a great communicator. Do you have any tips on how to, how to do that? Yeah, you know, communication is, 
just critical. We, we talked about it a bunch of times already here tonight. And yeah, one of the biggest challenges with communication for engineers is comes back to confidence. Because if you're not confident in your abilities, then that could really hamper your communication skills because you're not going to want to communicate. You're not going to want to speak in front of people. You're not going to feel comfortable doing it. So the one thing that I always tell people to do is there's a wonderful organization out there called Toastmasters International that really promotes public speaking, getting up in front of the room, communicating effectively. And it's a very comfortable environment. It's a very inexpensive membership. I think it's $100 a year or something. I was a Toastmaster for a few years. And it can change everything from you because it can. it's not just about being able to become a better speaker in public, which you will do, which is valuable, but you'll become more confident in yourself and your abilities and ultimately a better communicator overall. So there's a lot of things you can do. I mean, you can, there's a lot of stuff I get into in the chapter, but I would say the one overall powerful thing that I've recommended to a lot of engineers is to get involved with an organization like a Toastmasters, like a public speaking type of group that can help you. Okay. Do most engineers respond positively to that or do they go, there's just no way I could do that or I don't want to do that? Um, Most engineers actually respond pretty positively to it. A lot of them don't know about it. Mm Mm-hmm. And they do usually, most of the people I tell do usually look into it. The only resistance that I ever get is, you know, I just don't have time to do anything else in my career because I'm so busy. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's not so much the resistance to the actual act of speaking and getting involved in that kind of an organization. So um, I think this ties in pretty well to uh, communicating, uh, but somewhat somewhat different. Networking. I think we've talked about it a few times, but any additional uh, hints on how to how to go about networking? Well, I think networking is important because you're talking about building relationships, and in my opinion, that's what our life's all about. Whether you're an engineer or not, I mean, you're working with people in the office all day. You have personal relationships, and I think the best way to network is just to get out there, get out there and meet people, get out there to events, get out there to association events, get get out there. Um, to local community groups, whether it's your local church or school events, if you're a, if you're a parent, and just meet people, talk to them, learn about them, get to know them, and that's how, in my opinion, that's how you be become a networker. You know, you got to give value to people, you got to um, be interested in them and learn about people, and if you do that, it will have a profound effect upon your career for a lot of reasons. But one of the most important reasons is because you'll develop a lot of good relationships, which is just going to give you a more enjoyable career. I mean, yes, there's business aspects to it, like bringing in business, getting a new job, all those things are important. But there's also the aspect of creating enjoyable relationships that has a a lot higher value to it, in my opinion. Yeah, we did an episode about empathy and certain scientific studies seem to indicate that engineers are less empathetic than those in other professions. And so I'm kind of curious whether, you know, I'm sure for cert- certain engineers, you know, the small talk, the the mingling comes easily. But I also think for a lot of engineers that doesn't come so easily. How do you advise engineers to who are uncomfortable in social settings to uh, get out there and find ways to uh, share, to mingle, to network with with other individuals? Yeah, so this is something we work on a lot <clears throat> in the, my Institute for Engineering Career Development and with a lot of our members. And the one thing that I try to emphasize to them is if you're going to go to an event, you should be prepared with some questions that you can ask people. 
you know, to start the conversations, icebreakers, you know, things that can, you know, more on the personal side of things, not so much, um, you know, what kind of engineering do you do and just talk about the technical stuff, but really go down some other avenues. And, and one example I'll give you, and this was brought up by one of the engineers in my community, which was a good one, is that he, he always says that he asks, kind of like we talked about on this call, you know, how did you get involved in engineering? And just by asking that question, it's a comfortable thing for people to talk about and it kind of gets the conversation going. And usually there's some similarities you'll find between you and other people with that question. So it's like kind of a safe way to start off a, a conversation in, in uh, you know, kind of a social atmosphere. And, and I've always found that if I listen to the that initial response, usually at some point there'll be some little tidbit of information where you can tell the other person is a little more excited about that than everything else. Uh, if you were able to ask a follow-up question that, you know, oh, so, so you worked in, you know, you worked in Iowa or, oh, so you're involved in, in chemical engineering or, you know, whatever it is, whatever part that they were excited about, if you can follow up on that and get them to talk about themselves uh, and share their experiences, there are a few people in this world I've found that don't like talking about their experiences. Oh, absolutely. And that's uh, actually one of my favorite books uh, by Dale Carnegie, The How to Win Friends and Influence People. That's kind of the basic fundamental principle of the book. And that's another thing that I recommend to engineers when they're focusing on the networking, communicating portion of their skill sets. Hmm. Okay, so uh, moving on, we're getting near the end of uh, the outline of your book. But your next section is on being organized. What sorts of things are you trying to get at here? Is this keeping a nice clean desk or what are you trying to get at? Well, I think that's a small part of it, but I think the underlying theme to this chapter is productivity. You know, one of the biggest challenges that I face with engineers, because if you read the book and you apply these strategies, there's a, there's a very good chance you're going to be successful in your career. The challenge that I've had is people that come back to me, whether they're members of my community or they've read the book and they've implemented things and they become successful, and then they get to the point where they're really struggling to establish a balance in their life because they're working so much, because now they've made that partner, they've made that goal that they're shooting for. So so, so what I've been coaching people on now actually is, okay, I read your book, I did all the stuff, and now I have, you know, I can't get out of the office. So so I think the, the fundamental idea here is how to be a little bit more productive um, and stay balanced in your career and in your life, and that's what that chapter is really focused on. And, and that's something that is a big thing for me now because that's something that a lot of engineers come to me with is the whole idea of work-life balance. And this chapter is meant to kind of help with that facet of your career. Do you have any quick tips you could share with us on that? Um, yeah, I mean, I th- one thing that I can say is a huge, huge organizational productivity, I guess, challenge right now is email management. That's something that I go into into the book, and that's something that I've written a bunch of articles about on my blog at the engineeringcareerdevelopment.com site. And if you can kind of master that, you know, which which basically, just to give a couple tips, would be to kind of check your email less frequently, you know, a longer session less frequently, um, you know, being rigorous about the kind of emails you get, unsubscribing from emails that aren't necessary, you know, things of that nature. Uh, those can be helpful for you a lot in your productivity and your balance. So that's a big, big thing that that if you focus on that, then that could be something that could get you some results. And do you come down in favor of any of the, uh, you know, the sort of productivity 
uh, approaches, you know, the, the getting things done or the seven habits or, or is it up to the individual to find one that works for them? I, I like the getting things done. The thing I didn't like about it, so to speak, was that I think it's a little overwhelming for people. Mm-hmm. There's another great book out there that's called The Power of Less. Um, it's written by the author of the blog Zen Habits, Leo Babauta. Yes. And it's an excellent book as far as what he did was he took the getting things done uh, kind of framework. And he says it right in the book. And he kind of tried to dumb it down for people. It's actually, the book is called The Power of Less, The Fine Art of Limiting Yourself to the Essential in Business and Life. And really, he tried to simplify that. And I took a lot out of that book and I've applied a lot of that. And I've I've used a lot of um, his strategies and really mm-hmm. get more focused around getting clear on what matters, simplifying down to those things. And that's what you focus on on a daily basis. So, I think I think really fundamentally for me it's really simplifying things and that's what I try to get into the chapter in my book on on this whole topic. Yeah, I'll just uh, throw out from from someone who's been around for a few years that I think this is getting more difficult as we go along. 30 years ago, we had, you know, just a limited number of television channels and any information that came along uh that was not delivered, you know, very, via textbook came in magazine articles and those only got published once a month. And and now we have the internet that's just con- continuously and constantly bombarding us with information and interesting things to do. And I think it comes back to your idea, Anthony, of setting goals is if you aren't focused in what it is you want to get done, there are a myriad of people who want to distract you uh, into doing other things. Yeah. And, and, and you hit it right on the head. It's all about focus. I mean, if you can't if you can't set a goal in today's world and focus on it and put energy in it, then you're going to have a hard time being successful and achieving the things you want to achieve because it's so easy to get sidetracked in today's world. And that's one of my goals kind of for this year is to even get more productive and more focused on certain things because being entrepreneurial like I am, I have a um, kind of a, a challenge of, of coming up with a lot of different ideas and trying to pursue them and not, you know, kind of finishing things and sticking with them. So I got to get better at that. But it's certainly a challenge because there's a lot of different avenues for opportunity today. Yeah. Okay. So rounding out the uh, the last chapter of your book is on being a leader, uh, which I do think is a goal for a lot of a lot of people who listen to this podcast, at least I think so. Where do you see the value in uh, becoming a leader and then follow up? How can someone who hasn't had a lot of opportunity to be a leader work on these skills? Well, I think I think the value in being a leader is when you're a leader, you can create your own opportunities. You don't just have to follow what someone's telling you to do. And, th- and that doesn't mean you can't be a leader if you're a staff person. You could still be a leader, a thought leader. Um, and I think that that's important. And as far as becoming a leader, you know, if you haven't had a lot of experience, I mean, my, my fundamental thought on being a successful leader has always been to help the people that, you know, that, that are on your team succeed. And, and if you do that, then everything is going to, everything's going to work, you know, and I've always kind of focused on that myself as if, if the people that are working with me on a team, if I'm leading them and they're, if, if they're not successful, the team, the project is not going to be successful. So, and a lot of engineering managers, 
they get tied up in their own issues that they have going on, emails and calcs and or a meeting they got to go to. And they always forget about the people that are working for them and what they need, whether they need to give them the right information, whether they need to give them information so they can keep working on a project, um, when they need to send them to a meeting so they can gather the right data. You know, you always have to think about, let me look at my team and what their needs are. If you can make sure that they're continually getting their needs met, then everything is going to work for your project and, and you know, you're going to have their respect. So that's kind of just a real short clip on, on leadership there. And so is there some equivalent to Toastmasters if you're interested in leadership skills as opposed to speaking skills? It's a good question. Um, I know I mentioned Dale Carnegie's book before. Dale Carnegie also has a, a training course. Dale Carnegie, I think it's called the Leadership Institute or something like that. Mm-hmm. That I know a lot of engineers have taken um, and it's been, it's been successful for them. But other than that, I really don't know of any. Uh, of anything specifically. I mean, in my institute, we do a lot of training along those lines, but it's not really dedicated for leadership training. Okay. So uh, let me backtrack for just a second. At at one point you talked about, as you traveled across the country, you got to talk to a lot of engineers and you learned a lot about their pains. And I'm just curious, what are, you know, what do you think are the common pains for engineers, especially those that are fairly early in their career? Well, Confidence, lack of confidence is a big challenge, especially the earlier you are in your career. That's a real tough one. Communication is tough because there's, you don't get to practice that that much. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you can't just be expected all of a sudden to go to a client meeting and communicate things to them that you did in your, in your back in your cubicle without having that experience. So confidence and communication, which are tied together, um, are big challenges. And I think as you progress up the ladder – the big challenge then becomes the, like I said before, the work-life balance. You know, I think that there's still a belief out there, and it's really one of my goals is to kind of try to somehow break this belief or break or, or, or maybe make it that it's not so, but is that in order to have a very successful engineering career, you have to sacrifice a lot of your personal and family time. And I think that while I see that as the case in a lot of scenarios, I think there are scenarios where it's not the case. And so I think one of the things I'd like to long-term, I'd like to kind of um, help with is that, you know, is that new kind of a new thing I'm, I'm trying to lean forward now on. Is that, and I've got some ideas for ways to do that. But but those are some of the biggest challenges based on the range of, you know, age experiences. And so uh, when you're spending now your time coaching – do you miss the fact that you're not involved with technical issues on a day-to-day basis? Um, no, honestly, people ask me, and I've never, I've never really, <laughs> never really missed it at all. And I think the reason just goes back to the idea that I know I wanted to do this for a reason. I felt that it was for me, and I, you know, and, and every day I enjoy it. And so there's really no reason to look back. I mean, I kind of tell people for me now is like. You know, I know it sounds like a lot of people say this, but, you know, it just doesn't feel like a job at all. It just feels like I'm doing, I'm helping people on a regular basis. And, and, and it's just, I don't really can't see myself doing something other than that. So. Right. Now, as a, you know, when you were in college, did you have any clue that this is what you're going to do? Oh, no, I had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, the only thing I can say is I read a lot of these motivational books growing up and I, I was around those types of people and those watched those videos and stuff, but I didn't know how it was going to really come about and come into play. I just knew I was in school for engineering and I was going into engineering. That's all I knew. Well, now I know that as 
in addition to doing your consulting work, that uh, you now have a another role with the uh, New York State Society for Professional Engineers. You are their executive director. And so I was kind of curious how that came about and uh, what your duties are as the executive director of that organization. Well, it's funny. I, I, it really came about from doing what everything we talked about, you know, building my business, getting out there, talking to engineers. <clears throat> I was a member of the society for about 12 years and the executive director resigned. And I think that a couple of the members said, they, they came to me and they said, you know, we want to, you know, kind of recommend you to be the executive director. And the first thing that I thought to myself was, there's no way. Like, you know, like, <laughs> I'm, first of all, honestly, executive director, those words were scary to me. Like, you know. Right. And I was happy in my job. I was happy in what I was doing. And, you know, I kind of thought a little bit about it. And I thought that, you know, the organization needs someone who knows about engineering. They need someone who knows how to market and build up an organization. They need someone who can connect with engineers. They need someone who can get out there and speak to their chapters. And I kind of just thought about it. And like, you know, this is all the stuff that I do, you know, this right. kind of start, it started to make sense to me a little bit. So I went on the interviews and I was probably, I think I want to say they interviewed like 10 people and they were all executive directors in the nonprofit world for many years. Um, and, you know, I'm 35 years old and I, I'm an engineer who spent the last three years with books in my trunk driving around the country. <laughs> and right. I'm telling my wife, this is going to be comical, you know. And, you know, so I made it through the first round and I made it through the second round. And I'm starting to tell my wife, I don't know. I mean, this there could be something here. You know, like I, I could actually get this job. And she was still looking at me like, are you sure? I'm like, I don't know. So, <laughs> but you know what? Honestly, I applied this. I have a whole section of my book on resumes and interviews, and I applied all the, the stuff in there that I've helped engineers with. And, um, you know, I got the job. And I think it just speaks to if you develop your skill sets and you have value, people see it. You know, people believe in it. People see it. People want to give you a shot. And so, so they hired me about a year ago, a little over a year ago. And, you know, I'd like to think that we've done very well there. Um, I've brought a lot of my online marketing expertise along with the knowledge I've gained through my travels and speaking with engineers to the organization. We've done a lot of new things. We've got new websites. We've got all kinds of new stuff in place already. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm just going to keep doing it. I mean, honestly, it's, it's also, you know, kind of my rule for the job. My rule for a job is if it feels like a job, it's not a good job. <laughs> Okay. And this job doesn't. I mean, I tell the the women that I work with there that I love doing this. I mean, it's it's you know I kind of I we were talking about this in my institute the other day with some of the members. It's like you know I I call it the engineering career lottery. I always ask people when I coach them if you hit the the engineering career lot lottery and you could do any type of engineering job, what would it be? And they'll mm -hmm. some of them will say, oh, I do this or I do that. And some will say, you know, I'll, I'll do what I was doing right now. And that's kind of what I felt like myself is that, you know, if I hit some kind of lottery, I don't think I would, you know, give up this job because I, I really like it. I mean, I'm doing, I'm talking to students about, you know, the, you know, we help students understand the process of engineering licensure and how important it is. We protect the engineering license as far as, you know, it being de devalued in the, you know, through, through laws and legislation. We look out for the safety and welfare of the public by making sure that engineering rules and regulations are in place. Mm -hmm. You know, we give inspect, um, we, we give training for engineers on different certifications. So, uh, you know, now I'm doing some blogging with them. We got the website, the online stuff that I love to do. So 
you know, I think it's, I, I think it's really a perfect job for me, so to speak. And I realized that during the last interview uh, that I was going through, and I kind of, I said this to them, I said, this is a perfect job, you know, and I'm realizing it's a perfect job for me. And luckily, you know, they gave me the opportunity and I'm kind of just going to, I guess, keep running with it. <laughs> well, that sounds like a good idea. Yeah. It's fun. It's fun, you know, and I, I may not be the typical executive director, but I think we're doing pretty good so far. Well, terrific. Well, we've uh, we've once again run past the hour mark, so we should probably think about uh, wrapping this uh, episode up. Any parting advice you might have for engineers? I think really the parting advice is that an engineering career can be really whatever you want it to be. There's so many opportunities out there, but you need to develop your skills, set clear goals, and, and ultimately engineer your own success. I mean, you have to get out there and do it. No one's going to hand anything to you. Um, but if you develop those skills and if you go after whatever you want in your career, you can absolutely get it. You just you just have to go for it. And that's kind of my advice to engineers. You're not limited because some people think if I'm an engineer, I got to do a certain thing. I got to do calculations. I got to do this. But it's not the, it's not the case. You can really do anything uh, for the most part. And that's just something to keep in mind. And, you know, and hopefully any advice on the show today can help you or my book. And, you know, I have a bunch of free resources for engineers available and, and, you know, I create those so that you can take them and succeed with them. Wonderful. And uh, if somebody wants to get a hold of you, where are the places that uh, they should go to do that? Sure. We could look me up on LinkedIn, just linkedin.com. And my handle is Anthony J. Fasano. I'm on Twitter at Anthony J. Fasano as well. But really what I want to tell you about is a couple of websites that I run because they've got so much, so many free resources for engineers. Sure. And, and really primarily two websites, engineeringcareerdevelopment.com is the, is the website for my institute. And I have a blog there that I've written probably myself and other experts, hundreds of articles for engineers on all of the different elements we spoke about this evening. So definitely you can check that out there. I also have a free webinar there that you can access on networking. So it's an hour long webinar where I walk through all different strategies for engineers on networking and that's on the free resources tab. And then my newer endeavor is engineeringcareercoach.com. That's my podcast where I actually every week or every other week I coach an engineer on a real, this is a real live engineer and I have to laugh when I say that, but it's a real live engineer <laughs> with a real live challenge in their career usually that they're trying to overcome or a goal that they're trying to achieve. And I literally, we, I dig into it with them right on the show and I help them get closer to achieving it and lay out a blueprint for them. So for example, last show, someone wanted to become a partner in an engineering firm. So we walked through that process. And then in this last show that just came out today, which was, uh, I think, my eighth session now, we had a, an engineer who wanted to kind of get out of the whole cubicle uh, lifestyle, so to speak, and kind of do some freelancing and some other things. So we talked about that. And and so I also have some pretty pretty comprehensive free resources on that site, a whole engineering career guide with seven videos on the elements we spoke about today, and the free gift where I actually give you the top three resources that I used in my career to become a partner and all three resources are free. And again, you can go to engineeringcareercoach.com forward slash free gift and you can check that out. So, so, you know, use them. I create them. They're for you. They're there. You can go access them and I hope that they're going to help you to really create that extraordinary engineering career. Fantastic. Well, this, uh, this episode will come out at, uh, at the end of 2013, which means that uh, for those that want to make changes and uh, launch their career in 2014, the holiday 
season might be a time to uh, to review some of this and get themselves ready for the new year. Great. I hope they do. <laughs> All right. Well, Anthony, I want to thank you so much for uh, for joining us on the Engineering Commons and, and uh, for sharing some of your knowledge and, and background and advice. Well, Jeff, Adam, thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you. It's been int- very interesting. Thanks, guys. The Engineering Commons is produced by Analog Life, LLC, and Engineering Revision. Theme music by Paul Stevenson. For more info, visit theengineeringcommons.com. <laughs>